much. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're jumping uh, right in, continuing the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, I could just do one sermon on the Lord's Prayer, but there's way too much in it to do in one message. And last week we talked about just the depth and the power of God as our Father. Um, and today I want us to concentrate on the next thing. Now, if you think about it, Luke has a different account of the Lord's Prayer than Matthew has. Matthew has Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Luke has a conversation of the disciples coming to Jesus saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. And uh, so it looks like it's two different accounts, two different events. But in both situations, Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way. And he says the same thing. So there is power and significance in the way Jesus breaks down the model of how we're to pray. And, and when when he talks about that being the model, he's not saying, if you just pray this prayer, just re memorize it and pray it as it is, everything's covered. But to understand the significance of each line, um, when we come to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, um, kingdom was a very important thing for the children of Israel. In fact, that, that's what they're waiting for. When they're waiting for Messiah, they're, they're actually waiting for a new kingdom. But they're waiting for a kingdom that's different than the kingdom that God intended. Actually, they're waiting for a kingdom that will still come, a, a kingdom of perfection where God rules and man no longer has dominion over man, but instead God will be on the throne. And that's the, that's the political kingdom they're always looking for. And Jesus says, when he, when, a little after the Sermon on the Mount, and he also says in Luke, he says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus was saying that, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were expecting the kingdom of heaven to come, the kingdom of God to come, and that there are a lot of pious, when I say pious, I mean religious Jews who are still waiting for that. He also said in Luke, he said, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves will be thrust out. And he was talking about the judgment at the end of the age. So here's an interesting thing. The one topic Jesus taught about more than anything was not money, was not love, was not salvation. It was the kingdom. That was the number one topic Jesus taught. In fact, in the Gospels, the kingdom is mentioned over a hundred times. Also, when you... Look at those 40 days from the time Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended to the Father. There was one topic, it says, um, that, that he talked about over and over and over. And it was the kingdom of God. It says he spent those 40 days teaching the disciples, teaching his followers about the kingdom of God. Luke 4 said, this is Jesus talking, he says... But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. So Jesus said the reason the Father sent him was to teach about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told us, we've already gone over this in Matthew chapter 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And again, the 40 days afterwards, in Acts 1-3, it says, To whom he also presented himself alive, meaning the disciples, after his suffering uh, by many infallible proofs, being sent by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And Jesus' message was a message they didn't hear. And, and it's interesting because uh, John the Baptist and Judas both misunderstood Jesus, inquired of Jesus, are you the Messiah? Do you look responded differently. They both, John the Baptist inquired of Jesus, are you the Messiah to look for somebody else? Judas just said, this isn't what I signed up for. Um, I, I got to get something out of this. So 40 pieces of silver sounds like a good deal. But the reality is this. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from here. So Jesus said, look it. If the kingdom I'm talking about is a kingdom on earth, then my disciples 
and everybody who followed me, I would say, go ahead and fight the Romans. Go ahead and fight them, and let's have a war, and let's see who wins. But he says, they're not doing that because that's not the kingdom I'm talking about. So when we say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth it is in heaven, I would venture to say, and you know, I'm, I'm not a mind reader, but I would mention to say that most Christians, if I said, what does the Lord's prayer say? And when, when Jesus says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, most Christians would know that line, but they wouldn't necessarily fully understand the depth of the meaning Jesus was talking about when he said, pray this way. Because you see, he said, first of all, when you pray, let's acknowledge that God is your Father and that God is my Father and that God is in all in our daily bread. The next thing we need to acknowledge is not that we need to be forgiven of our sins and not that we need our daily bread and not that we not need to have an escape of temptation. The next thing we need to understand most importantly is that it's about the kingdom of God coming and rule now and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That means God's will fully being manifest in your life and my life on the same magnitude and dimension that his will is being displayed in heaven right now. And if you would just take a moment and sit down and write that out and ponder about ponder that. Ask the Lord for revelation of what, what is God's will going on in heaven right now and how is that being manifest in my life? Because Jesus said when we pray, that is to be the result of what we're looking for when we pray. His kingdom to come, his will to be done in my life here on earth as his will is being done in heaven. And again, that's why by Isaiah 55 is so important and such a powerful statement when the prophet Isaiah speaks for the Lord. The prophet Isaiah says to Israel, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways your ways. And so when Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, he's saying we need to get above this world. We need to get above all the stuff of life. We need to see and understand and know what's taking place in the heavenlies. And then we need to live that out in our life here on earth. That's how his kingdom comes. That's how his will is done here on earth as it's being done in heaven. So here, here's the simple reality of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God exists wherever the realm of the rule and the reign of God's will is being done. So wherever God's will is being done on earth, his kingdom is being manifest. So, you know, if you grow up as a good Baptist, which I did, um, well, I don't know if I ever grew up, but I was raised as a Baptist, um, you're always taught when you pray. And this, is, this is the escape hatch for people who struggle with faith. God, whatever your will is, just go ahead and do it. You see, when we pray that way, when we believe, look it, God's sovereign, it's his will, he's going to do what he's going to do, so I really don't have to have faith because God's going to do what he's going to do, so I'm just going to jump on the God train and follow him wherever he goes. And yet so much about prayer and so much about kingdom and so much about kingdom life is us partnering with God, getting into the heavenlies to understand what he's doing and then to pray it in. And so, you know, in, in, um, in Mark 4 and in Matthew 13, um, Jesus explains why he always talks in parables. The disciples come to him and say, okay, we don't get it. Why are you always telling these silly stories, you know? Why are you saying it's like a pearl of gay price and a coin that was lost? And why are you saying all this stuff? Why are you telling these parables? And Jesus said, so you get it, so you understand. But if you read Matthew 13, actually a little bit of Matthew 12 and all Matthew 13, every parable Jesus says starts like this. And the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like, and so Jesus, he wanted to make certain that his disciples understood the magnitude of the kingdom of heaven. And we're not going to go into those. I'm not going to teach those parables. I've taught them before. But, but Jesus made it very clear how the kingdom of heaven was to occupy. And, and Paul says, here's, here's the reality. The kingdom of heaven is a great revelation, but it's a great mystery. Um, and I, we have a hard time with the mystery part. Well, we, we kind of like the, the revelation part. We kind of like knowing. We, we kind of like 
having it all worked out, and this is how we walk it out. But there is this mystery. Paul says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. So Paul said this great mystery about the kingdom started all the way back in the garden when the world began, but it's made manifest and it's revealed in the life of who Jesus was. And that's why Jesus over and over and over again talks about the kingdom of God being at hand. Now in the, in the Old Testament, Daniel got it. Daniel is a great book to read and understand, even though, this is just a side note, it's not in your notes. I always, when I was in, in college and, and I was first time studying the book of Daniel, um, I came to the verse that said, um, the understanding of this book is sealed up until the end of the age comes. I always thought here people were writing commentaries on this book over and over and over when God says the whole understanding of the mystery isn't going to unfold until the events start to unfold. And then all of a sudden the light's going to come on and go, oh, I get it. So even as we look at Daniel, there's a lot of Daniel uh, that's related to Joel, that's related to Zechariah, that's related to the book of Revelation, that when you tie them all together, there's understanding, but there's still parts of Daniel, he talks about these days and these weeks, and after the the end of the age, you know, there's 14 days here and there's seven days there, and you're going, you know, then you try and think about the millennium, then you go, I mean, it's just crazy stuff. But here's one thing that we do learn when we're when we're in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter two says, "In the days of the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom." which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And so Daniel's prophesying that when the reign of Jesus finally comes, when his kingdom is established, no other kingdom will be able to stand against it. And understand, that's what John the Baptist believed when he said, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Judas got disappointed in because he really thought this kingdom, that Jesus was Messiah, was going to destroy the nation of Rome and that Israel would rise up and would rule the earth. But, and, and that kingdom is going to come. But when Jesus said himself, I've come to preach the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is here. You know, Matthew 4, 17, this is Jesus preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1, 14 and 15, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the mystery of the kingdom is a divine purpose that go from the moment, but he's kept hidden from men. So, from the moment, you know, Daniel says, from the moment of creation, you know, according, from the moment that, that the world began, I'm sorry, Paul says that to Rome, this mystery has been secret since the world began. So from the moment that it said, let there be light, from the moment the earth was void without form and God created the heavens and the earth, from that moment, God has been working on the revelation of this great mystery. And this great mystery was made manifest in Jesus. And here's part of the mystery. The kingdom of God is now, and the kingdom of God is yet to come. So it's, it's both. It's here, but, and, and our, our responsibility is to understand how it operates here and how we live and walk in it now as we prepare to live in it for eternity. Because that's how Jesus can say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little things, I will make you ruler over many. That faithfulness over little things is learning how to live and to walk out the reality of the kingdom of God here on earth now as it prepares us for our position of rulership throughout all eternity. And don't ask me what that looks like because my brain is scrambled every time I try and sit down and figure that out. It's, there are so many questions of that. There is such a great dynamic of eternal rulership with God that it just scrambles my brain. I just, I don't even go there anymore. I just say, you said it, I believe it. Let's wait and see what it looks like. So here's the mystery. 
You know, the mystery is the divine purpose that he's designed. He's hidden from men. Something not revealed in the Old Testament, but was disclosed in the earthly ministry of Jesus. Jesus said it was disclosed in him. John the Baptist, as the forerunner, said it's disclosed in him. And instead of, of this kingdom destroying human sovereignty, um, it attacks the sovereignty of Satan. And I don't want to get into all the theology of Adam relinquishing the authority of the earth to Satan when he sinned. But the kingdom of God doesn't come to destroy human authority. The kingdom of God comes to destroy satanic authority. That's why Paul tells us we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We're not wrestling with kingdoms here on this earth. We're not wrestling with the Taliban or or with North Korea or with communism or socialism. That's not what we're wrestling with. We're wrestling with principalities. With, with rulers um, of, of spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And Jesus came to destroy that kingdom. And so instead of making spiritual order, that's why he said, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these you will do because I go to my Father. Because Jesus transferred that authority of the kingdom that the Father gave to him when he took our sin upon him and he rose from the dead. He transferred that authority to us. We have full kingdom authority in our life here on earth, but here's the key. Jesus said in order for that authority, that kingdom authority be manifest, we have to know how his kingdom comes and his will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's the key. Too many people when they pray, this is how most Christians pray. They pray, God, this is what I want to see done. Please come partner with me and make it happen. That's not kingdom come will be done. Kingdom come will be done says, God, I'm going to wait upon you to show me what you're doing. I want to pray into it, and then I want to partner with you to see it fulfilled. That's the way we're supposed to pray. That's the way Jesus is telling us to pray. Prayer is not trying to get God to agree with what we want. Prayer is us moving in agreement with what he's doing and to, to play our role for no, better, for no better term in making it come to pass. That's, that's why, and, and we have to grab onto this so significantly. For Jesus, it's never about the big thing. It's always about the faithfulness in the little things. It's about the detail. There, there are people whose names nobody knew here on earth, who prayed in so much of what God has done since the coming of Jesus, that are going to be in such places of high authority in heaven. We're going to go, who are you? And Jesus is going to say, see this little thing they did for 80 years? That has empowered them to rule over much in my kingdom. It's never about the, the, the big stuff. It's about the faithfulness in the little things to know what he's doing and to partner with him in seeing it done. So this mystery is, is fulfilled. In, in the spiritual realm, the kingdom of God offers us the blessing of God's rule in our daily lives. So delivering us from the power of Satan and sin and offering a gift to us that can be accepted or rejected, the, the gift of salvation. And so when he says... Your kingdom come, your will be done, earth is in heaven. I, I believe there's perspectives about God's kingdom and, and God's will. Our perspectives of his kingdom and his will don't match his. And I think part of the problem of prayerlessness and part of the problem of not seeing things come to pass is because people don't fully have the, God's perspective on what it means for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done, here on earth, in our life, in the same way it's being manifest in heaven. And so it's, it's, it's separate versus synonymous. In other words, what if God's kingdom coming and God's will being done are the same thing? Think about that for a moment. Are God's kingdom coming and God's will being done two separate things, or are they synonymous and they're the same thing? See, all time in history are, are moving. Everything that's happening, when, when um, 
when you read your newspaper, you should read your Bible. When you watch the news on TV, you should read your Bible. Because all of the events going on around us right now are, are going through this funnel and coming down to this point where they're going to hit the spout. And it's all going to be the fullness of what God's trying to accomplish, not trying what God is accomplishing here on earth. All the events going on right now, I don't care politically, God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness coming to this point of collision. So all time in history are moving towards seeing God's kingdom fully come and being finally reestablished as it was when Jesus was here for eternity. And so if God's kingdom is coming, that means it's, it's reconciling creation to himself. Sin that isn't his ultimate will. In other words, everything's coming to reconcile himself to creation is his kingdom coming, but it's also his will. So the kingdom of God coming and his will being done really are synonymous. It's, it's the same thing. It happens so that when we see his purpose on earth, we'll bring whatever needs to happen in us, his will, happens so that we see his purpose on earth, his kingdom. So will and kingdom are synonymous. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the kingdom of God operating on this earth without his will being fulfilled. And God's will cannot be fulfilled without the kingdom of God in full operation. So they're separate, but they're synonymous. Second, it's easy versus good. Most people, um, when you ask about people's ideas for God's will in their life, um, most people want to be happy, um, they want to be healthy, and they want to be problem-free. They don't want any struggles. That's when, when, they, when they think about God's will for my life, it's utopia. Everything's just going to fall into place and work well together. But the reality is, this isn't what the Bible says. The Bible says that everything's going to have a struggle. Everything is going, is going to, there's going to be contention. There's going to be fight. You know, most people want to help life to be as easy as possible for community, too. I had a... I went to lunch with somebody this week, and we were just talking about walking out, um, trusting God for finances. And um, out of the blue, he said to me, have you ever bought a lottery ticket? And I said I did once, and I felt really convicted, not because of the gambling thing. Okay, that wasn't the issue. The issue was, I realized at that moment, if this was the winning ticket and I got all that money, I was going to screw up a whole lot of lives. Because there are a lot of people's lives I would want to use that money to make easier. I would want it, what I would think was easier. When the reality is, it could be the only way God's teaching them is through the struggle. And if I remove the struggle, then I remove what God's doing in their life. So I said... It's not that I couldn't do good things with money, and I would have no problem giving every penny away. I wouldn't need to spend a penny on me. But I am so afraid of how many lives I'd screw up. Um, because in essence, what I'd be saying is, I'm now God. I'm now the one that's going to pour destiny into your life through money. And the reality is, I would be the one screwing up their lives through money. Even my kids, as much as I would love to. I have grandkids struggling to get money to go to college, and I would love to just sit down and be one of those grandparents that writes a check. But obviously, God wants them to learn something about faith and about trusting him that they're not going to learn if I sit down and write the check. And if God wanted me to sit down and write the check, he'd put the money in my bank account. And since it's not there, I don't have to worry about it. Um, so... But so we want, we like things to be easy in community as well because if something's difficult for you and I'm a part of your life, it ends up being difficult for me. Most of my wife and I, when we, 
when we have our prayer list, a big part of our prayer list is the struggles in other people's lives. The, the things they're contending for, the things they long for. And, and those struggles become our struggles. And, and we carry the burden and the weight of them. We, as we move and intercede for them, there, there, are, there are some that, I mean, there's one thing we've been praying for for a couple of years, and somebody just sent me an email and said, you know, it is worse now than it has ever been, and I don't see any way for it to be fixed. Part of me wants to say, God, we've been crying out for two years. What's going on here? Part of me wants to say, okay, neither one is going to give in, and so this is a done deal. Let's just walk away. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. That's not how his will comes. We contend and we fight until. And so it's easy versus good. The ultimate goal is for us to be reconciled to God, to be spiritually healthy, and spiritually whole. And I'm here to tell you, listen closely. You cannot be spiritually healthy. You cannot be spiritually whole if you walk through life without struggles. The only way you learn to trust God is to be in a situation where you have to trust God. With, without that circumstance, you know, it's, it's like, they're, they're beginning to realize now that part of the, part of the difficulty with the health of the children in this generation, so many of them have been born cesarean section, that there's something that takes place in the birth canal. There, there's genetic things, there's fluids that are brought into the baby that actually deal with the baby's digestive tract and their gut and all that, and it affects them for the rest of their life, just passing through the struggle of the birth canal. But we live in a medically profound time where quick and easy and the least amount of effort is best. And so cesarean births are on an incredible rise right now. And in that incredible rise, we're having this epidemic in, in children and young people of obesity and all types of things. And part of it has to do with the food they eat, yes, but it also has to do with what happened through birth. And so we can't grow into who and what God wants us to be if there's not something we have to struggle through. Remember, Jesus said they overcame by the blood of the lamb and what? The word, the word of their testimony. And testimony starts with test. The word of your test. And so, and, and I've shared this. For, for me, my test comes, I, I pray for more faith every day. But when I pray for more faith, I'm praying for, I want to lay hands on Tanner. I want his gut to change immediately. I want him to rise up and walk straight, his MS to be gone. I want all that to be gone. But God's saying, no, that's not the kind of faith I'm going to work on in your life. That's too easy. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to withhold the finances you need until it's 11.59 and 58 seconds. And then I'll let you have it. But you're going to have to trust me all the way up to then, even if it looks hopeless and helpless. And that's, I understand that's my journey. You know, he, he told me years ago, it'll never be about money. It will always be about faith. And so that's, that's my struggle. Not just for myself, for my kids too. When, when my kids come and say, okay, you know, we're going to buy this house, but our finances are such that so we're going to have to cut here and there. Part of me just wants to say, here, let me, let me help you. But I'm understanding something. I'm watching them grow in faith as I watch them have to trust God for something that on paper looks impossible. And if I fixed it, they would never learn that lesson, and they would never learn how to walk through the impossible. And so it's easy all the time. Easy versus good. Let me tell you. If it's easy all the time, it's not good for you, spiritually. There has to be something to compel you to be helpless to where you rely upon him. So in nearly half the verses in the New Testament that have to deal with God's promises are predicated with that wonderful word, suffering. So just know that's who we are. Then we have the struggle also when the kingdom coming will be done now versus later. We all want the now. And in my life, God always wants the later. 
There are things I'm praying for and contending for. Um, you know, we think his will is a matter of timing. We want things made right here and now. And, and sometimes what God's doing in you will not be fulfilled into two or three generations later. But the foundation you laid now is going to be realized then. And that's really hard for us to understand because we live in an age where if we're hungry, we just drive through and get it. In fact, um, when we went back for Janet's brother's funeral, um, my, uh, my niece and her husband, who had been pastoring in Oklahoma, are now pastoring in Florida. And Oklahoma's still kind of, you know, slow, hickish, behind the times. They moved to Florida, and they are blown away that they never have to go to the grocery store again. They go online, they order all their groceries, and it's delivered to their front door. So now, this is what they said, so now we can spend more time at the pool. See, we want it easy, and we want it now. And because that's the way we live our life here, that's kind of how we begin to see God's kingdom coming, God's will being done in our life, easy and now. And it's, it's neither. And then finally, there's the selective and there's the complete sides of God's will. Because we'd like to maintain some ownership of our life, we don't ask for God's will to be done every time we pray. Let me say that again. Because we like to have some sort of ownership in our life, some sort of control over the reality of the life we're living. Every time we pray, we don't say, God, I want your kingdom to come and I want your will to be done. We spend a lot of time saying, God, I want this done. I want this done. God, will you do this? God, will you do that? And I think if we would begin to change and fully understand the magnitude and the power of God, your kingdom come, your will be done here when he teaches us how to pray. That as we begin to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, things will begin to change in your life and your prayer life will change. We won't spend as much time telling God what we want. We'll spend more time asking him what he wants. See, it's not a matter of we're praying for people to come to Christ. That, that's a no-brainer. But God, what is your will in their life to happen in order for them to come to that place of coming to you? God, what role can I play in that? God, give me a revelation of your kingdom and your will being done in this life right now so it'll be manifest. One of the great struggles for me is I am at that Buddhist temple every day praying for Jackson Mu, that, the, 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 the monk there, to come to Christ. I have so many ideas on what God can do. I'm, I'm saying, God, it'd be nice to give him a dream. Let's have an epiphany. Let's have another Bible. Let's have a Bible verse show up on his front porch. Let's have this. And the reality is this. God, I need you to do. I want to be in agreement with whatever you're doing in this man's life for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. And, and one day about three months ago when I was there praying, the, the Lord said, He's not going to hear about me until his relationship with his sons is restored. And his sons want nothing to do with his Buddhism. But they don't want anything to do with God either. They just want to live a godless, riotous life. And so now we've been praying, God, whatever you have to do in the lives of those sons to draw them to you. Because if they're drawn to you, they will come back and want to reconcile to their father and if they reconcile to their father, their father who was raised Catholic and then became a Buddhist, in all likelihood could be reconciled to you. So there is this, we want it now, we want it our way. There is this, there's this plowing the field day in and day out, watering it, waiting for God to manifest what he's going to do. And so we have this, profesent, this present fulfillment that God's kingdom to come we're asking God to rule in our lives. Let me say it again. When you say, Lord, I want your kingdom to come, I want your will to be done in my life, what you're saying is, God, I want you to have full rulership in my life. And let me just say, one of the ways that rulership comes to revelation and reality is by abiding with him and abiding in him. In fact, it can't happen that way. John 15 is so necessary for us to see what God's doing.
because there's a process that has to take place. When I think of I'm, I'm getting ready in the next few weeks to officiate a wedding. Anybody in here getting married? Oh. <laughs> and so as, as, as we walk through premarital counseling with, with Evan and Caitlin, you know, um, saying I do is just step number one. That's the easy step. It's what happens after that that, that really determines how life is. And I remember... There are times Janet and I have counseled together and times I've counseled separately and we'd been married like 20 years or something and, and um, we were counseling this one couple and, and they asked about the difficulty and I said, you know, the first five years of marriage from, you know, from my perspective is pretty tough. It's, it's a whole process and I might as well just take in a shotgun and shot my wife between the eyes when I said that in front of her because after they were gone, our first five marriage, years of marriage were tough for you? <laughs> And here's the reality. The tough part was not her. The tough part was learning how to love her like Jesus loves me. The, the tough part was, for me, was putting me aside, wanting my way all the time, wanting to be right, not allowing. Look it. We all have a little annoyances. Uh, Evan, Caitlin's going to have them, and Caitlin knows you're going to have them. And it's how we deal with those. Some are more profound than others. But the whole way the kingdom of God comes, came in our marriage was for me to learn to love her like Jesus loves me. And so that was the hard part. The hard part wasn't being married to her. The hard part was loving her and not loving myself more. And so that's part of what kingdom coming and God's will being done in our life when it comes to marriage, when it comes to our job, you know, submitting to that obnoxious boss, you know, because we're saying, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done in my life, and there's something that's going to break in that obnoxiousness that is going to give me an opportunity to be a part of your kingdom coming in their life, whether it's through my prayers or through a conversation I have with them. But if we're not praying, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done in my boss's life, and let your kingdom come, let your will be done in the workplace as I am your representative in this workplace, then we're not going to see what God wants to do because we're telling him what we want him to do instead of asking him to let us participate in what he's doing. And that's why it's so vital when we pray. That's why Jesus said the first thing you need to pray before you ask for any request, first of all, recognize whose kid you are and what presence you're in. Father, Abba Daddy, glorify your name. But what I'm about to ask I want to know what's on your heart. I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in this thing. And this thing that's heavy on your heart, it's not that it shouldn't be heavy, but, but we have a real tendency to say, God, I need you to fix that. You know, I need you to fix them. God, I need you to provide this. Instead of saying, God, I want to know what you're doing right now, and I want to pray in line with what you're doing because it may already be fixed and they don't know it. They just have to get in alignment with what you've done, what you're already doing. And so the kingdom of God is within us. So when we pray your will be done, I think there's four things we're praying for. Four, not eight. Four things that you're praying for when we say your, your will be done in my life. First of all, we're praying that we want to discover his will. We want to know what his will is. Psalms 119 Verse 18 says, open my eyes that I may see the wondrous things from your law. David's saying, open my eyes to see what you're doing through your word. So again, Jesus says, if my word abides in you and you abide in me, ask whatever you will and I will do it. What is the key to that? The key is not asking. The key is abiding. And it's not just you abiding in him. It's his word abiding in you. And as his word abides in you, you abide in him, and pretty soon you're asking what's on his heart and not what's on your heart, and that's why it will come to pass, because you're asking him to do what he's already doing. So, discovering God's will. Before we can do God's will, we need to know God's will. And so to pray your will be done is a commitment to knowing God's will as it is revealed in Scripture. You want to know God's will for your job? 
the Word of God has an answer. You want to know God's will for your education? God's will has an answer. You want to know God's will for your marriage? God's Word has an answer. And so the will of God in our everyday affairs, you know, he's laid it out in the book. So the first thing is to discover God's will. The second thing is to understand God's will. And so here's just some guidelines. These are my thoughts to help you understand God's will. Is what I am concerned about in agreement with what is expressed in his word? In other words, if the things we're contending for, um, what, a lot of things, as an example, Tanner, I'm contending for a lot of things. The Bible says God wants you in health, you know, so I'm contending for his health. But can I tell you something as a dad? I am seeing a spiritual maturity and closeness to God in my daughter and son-in-law that my wife and I have been praying for for almost 20 years. For our, our daughter to call us and say, Gordon and I, this time we are so close to the Lord. We're so in agreement. We just lay on our bed together at night and we are crying out to God for Tanner. And she said, for the first time in so many years, our hearts are so knit together what we're asking God to do. Now, part of me as, as a grandpa, and as much as I love Tanner, I want to say, God, isn't there another way you could have done that? But that's no different than Jesus in the garden. Jesus said, Dad, I know you got a plan here, and I'm part of the plan, and the plan includes suffering. And is, if there's another way you can do it, my vote is yes. But it isn't about my vote. It's about your will. That's why he says, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So as much as I would love Tan Man, as I call him, to, to stand up, I mean, he's already tall, but to walk without a limp, to be able to eat whatever he wants to eat, to not to have to go. By the way, he had a $41,000 infusion on Friday. I mean, that's just incredible that one treatment costs $41,000. However, I did get the bill for my arthroscopic surgery with my MRI, $23,000 for two little quarter-inch incisions on my knee. So maybe 41000 isn't that bad. I don't know. But still, what I'm saying is I need to understand God's will, how God is sovereignly using the struggles I have in watching my grandson struggle, but in the joy I found and watching my daughter and her husband come together to fully rely and trust upon the Lord and to not be silent about it, you know, to, to write about it in social media, to tell all her friends about it, to testify of God's goodness, not that Tanner doesn't have Crohn's anymore and that Tanner doesn't have CP anymore, but that God is faithful to get their son what he needs to continue to walk out his life. So it's, you know, I want to be in agreement with God's doing. And so I have to take a step back and ask him, Father, help me understand what you're doing. Help me understand how your kingdom is being manifest in this situation so I can pray it through. And if it's a difficult situation, talk to somebody. You know, it's okay to sit down with somebody else and say, this is what I'm wrestling with. Can, can you help me see it differently? Can you help me see your side of it from where you stand? Get counsel. It says this in Proverbs. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, the key to that verse is pick the right counselors. Because there are some knuckleheads out there that you don't want to go running to. You want to pick godly people that know the word of God that you trust will pray with you. And make decisions out of prayer. Ask the Father to impress on your spirit what is the proper course of action. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given him. So don't ignore the common sense God's given you. Take your time. You know, Don't make hasty, impatient decisions. God is seldom in a rush. 
God doesn't have a calendar or a clock. He just has one day on his calendar, D-Day. You know, that's the day when everything blows up and newness comes and everything starts all over again. God is not, he doesn't carry an iPhone. Um, and so he, he doesn't rush, you know, and, and so we have to recognize that, that he will give us peace and he will give us acceptance in difficult situations if we wait upon him. The third thing is, is we need to submit to his will. So we need to know his will, we need to understand his will, but we need to submit to it too. So it's not enough just to know the will of God, we have to apply it. When we say your will be done, you know, Paul says, um, you know, that we, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, all things are passed away. And he goes on and says that we may know the good and acceptable, perfect will of God in our life. That we may know, that we may know the good and acceptable, acceptable perfect will of God's will in our life. So if there's any, first of all, back to knowing his word. God is never going to tell you something that contradicts his word. If you have peace over something that contradicts God's word, we need to understand it's a false peace. Because God is not going to give you peace that contradicts what his word says we're supposed to do. So if, if, if you're not... If you don't know his will and you're doing something and you have peace, you better get on your face, lock up the refrigerator, so, and just wait and, and feed on his word. So all the back of our failure is the desire to have um, my way and not his way. So. As we look back at the failures in our life, as I look back in the failures in my life, it's because of the times I was so strong-willed about doing it my way and not doing it his way because it didn't take the time to wait to see what he was doing. And finally, the last thing is to accomplish his plan. You know, Paul's prayer for the Colossians church was that they listen, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So when he says on earth as it is in heaven, we literally are to have a foot in each. So you got to be very ambidextrous because you got to have one foot down here and one foot up there because we're in heaven and we're on earth at the same time. And so how does God accomplish his will on earth? It's largely through us willing to do what he asks us to do. That's the simplest way to put it. So we must not make this prayer an abstract wish. In other words, it doesn't mean we pray, let someone else do your will or just get it done miraculously. I have other stuff to do. Which a lot of people pray that way. They wouldn't say those exact words. Well, basically saying, come on, God, what's the problem here? Let's get it done. I got places to go, people to see. But it does mean this. I'll do it, Lord. Lead me, guide me, give me whatever I need to get it done. And, and who knows how long that will take. So if the veil were pulled back, what do you think that you would see of how his will is being done in heaven? In other words, if God for a moment said, here you go, kind of like the Wizard of Oz. You pull back the curtain, you see what's behind the curtain. We'd see our universe. We'd see the moon, the stars, the sun, all moving in perfect harmony. We'd see his throne surrounded by the blood-bought saints and all the ages worshiping the king. We'd see the angelic hosts obeying of heaven, obeying is every command. We'd still the will of God being done without one creature out of harmony. How is the will of God done? This is what it means. The will of God is done in heaven instantly, constantly, and without failure. This is what it means for his will to be accomplished in our lives daily. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, you know how long I've been praying for... God to bring revival to Azusa and for there to be unity in the churches in Azusa. And when I, more than unity for us to be one. 
And uh, last week, um, I got an email and followed up with a conversation of a gentleman in Australia whose name is not Ruben. Um, a gentleman in Australia, his name is, is Michael Beatty, and he runs the Australian Prayer Network. And uh, he's uh, a retired uh, chemical scientist, and he and his wife travel the nation of Australia, encouraging and teaching intercessors how to pray for revival in Australia. But he called me because of a conversation he had with Reuben. And, and he called me to say, um, Reuben's told me the story, but I want to hear it from you. And after I told him the story, he said, um, I, I really believe Haggai 1 is the story of Azusa. And I think you should read it and ask God for revelation. So I did that. And Haggai 1, real, real briefly, if you, Israel went in captivity. That's when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all doing their thing. They're in captivity to, to Babylon. They've been under four kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Darius, and Xerxes, or Artaxerxes, however you want to see it. Um, but under Cyrus, who everybody said President Trump is a type of Cyrus, but under Cyrus, uh, Daniel begins to read the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah says he'll be captive for 70 years. <laughs> And so Daniel knows 70 years is up. He begins to pray and repent. That's Daniel chapter 9, if you want to read it. Pray, repent for the sins of his forefathers, and ask God to fulfill his promise of them being set free after 70 years. Ezra goes to King Darius, and Ezra wants to rebuild the temple. He wants to go back to Jerusalem and begin the process of rebuilding the temple. And King Cyrus funds it, sends him to go, and, and uh, Ezra takes a whole bunch of people with him. As they start to build the temple, the people who come to help rebuild the temple wander back into their neighborhoods, and they find their old homes that are in ruins. And they stop working on the temple, and instead they start building their own homes. And they build their own, they work on their homes for 16 years. So they totally forsake the temple. At the end of 16 years, two prophets come riding into town. One is Zechariah, the other one's Haggai. They're both prophesying the same things. Zechariah is much longer. Haggai's only two chapters. But Haggai comes in, and in Haggai chapter 1, it says he calls, he calls the governor, Zerubbabel, and he calls the high priest, Joshua, together. And he says, you know, did the Lord say, stop building my house? No, he didn't. But instead, you and the people have gone and built your paneled houses, and you've forgotten about the house of the Lord. And the Lord now says, it is time to come back and rebuild my house. And the last part of chapter 1, it says, so Zerubbabel and Joshua brought the people together. They repented, and they put their hearts together to finish building the house of God. And so I felt as I read that, there was this, there was this significance of the governor and the priest coming together, the government and the church. And so I felt like I need to contact our mayor and contact the head of the AMA and say, can I buy you two lunch? There's something I want to tell you. So they both said yes. We, we came to lunch on Thursday. Um, I shared with them a, a dream I'd had, and then I shared with them Haggai 1. And uh, I said, I believe, because the Ministerial Association is together again because of our mayor, Joe Rocha. Joe went out of his way to bring pastors together. And I commended Joe for that, and I said, you need to understand you're an instrument in the hand of the Lord as our mayor, but also bringing the churches together. But I told the two of them, I said, in order for us to build the house that God calls Azusa, um, we need to pray that the pastors will stop building their paneled homes and come together and build the house that God calls Azusa. So I believe the three of us need to pray together until... Joe said, when? Tell me when. So on the first and the third Thursday of every month at noon, myself and Jerry and Joe Rocha will be in the mayor's office praying for the church of Azusa. Now, I've waited that for that, folks, for years and years and years. I've had prophetic words on it years and years and years. You see, God's kingdom comes in God's time. God's will is done in God's time. Our job is to pray it in. 
our job is to have his heart and to pray it in. Now, I don't, I've, I've learned, I think I'm old enough now, I've learned not to have an expectation of what the outpouring of that prayer meeting is going to look like. I've told them both. I said, it may be a five-minute prayer meeting. I don't know what it's going to be. We're just going to pray until there's no more to pray, and then we'll go our separate ways. But I do know it's God's will. How God do, does it, I have no idea how that's going to work. But I do know it's God's will. I do know it's his kingdom coming. And I do know that we're going to sit together in Mayor Rocha's office, and we're simply going to say, God, let us know what you're doing in heaven with the Zusa. And we want to partner with you in our prayers to see it fulfilled here on earth. That's how our lives are to be lived. Whether it's your job, even if you're looking for a new job. You know, it's, God, what job do you want me to have? It's in our relationships. If you have broken relationships with your children, if you have struggles in marriages, you know people have struggles in marriages. You know, God, God said, Jesus said, he says, God only granted the decree of divorce because of you guys are knuckleheads. He says, because of the hardness of your heart. It never was God's plan. But you guys are basically idiots. So he had to give it to you. But he says, look it, this is what your marriage is supposed to look like. The way I love you. And the way you serve me. Let's, let's pray that in, you know. Um, as we've, we have parents of, of kids in this room whose parents are in the process and how we pray that in, how we pray for that. You know, and so I just encourage you. On the last page of, of the notes, and I'm not teaching that, but just some guidelines as you pray the application of kingdom praying. You know, when you pray over your own life, how do we pray for God's kingdom to come? over our own life, over our family, over our community, over our nation. We should, if you walk out of here with anything today, every time you pray, it should begin, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done in what I'm about to pray. Holy Spirit, direct me to pray in agreement with what's on the heart of the Father. And the word says Jesus and the Holy Spirit are both at the right hand of the Father right now making intercession. I just I want to be part of that prayer meeting. I want to be one of the guys holding hands, Jesus on my right hand, Holy Spirit on the other, Father in front of me, we're in agreement, and then we just go and do what Daddy says and watch it be fulfilled and manifest. So there's so much power when they said, Lord, teach us how to pray, and Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's watch God's kingdom come to Azusa. Let's watch God's kingdom come in our own lives as you pray it in, in your kids' lives. Parents, pray it now. Pray God's kingdom to come in your kids' marriages. Pray God's kingdom to come in their education. Pray God's kingdom to come if they're not supposed to go to college, but they're supposed to do something else. Pray God's kingdom to come, and no matter how many times they disappoint you, because they will, and you will disappoint them. Okay, I'm surprised many times my kids still love me because of some stupid things I did when I was raising them. But fortunately, God is gracious in that. But we need to pray that in every circumstance, every situation in our lives, our kids' lives, in this community life. Look around the room. Every person in this room, you should be praying for them. God's kingdom come. God's will be done in their life. So I'm going to pray that. And I'm one minute over. Jesus, we, we thank you for your simple instruction on how we open up this door of understanding, of revelation, the will of God be made manifest in the life of human beings. As we enter into the throne room and we simply say, Father, what are you doing? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life and the lives that I touch and the places that I go. And God, as we go down our prayer list every day, we ask, Holy Spirit, do not let us forget what is the Father doing? What is the Father's will in this situation? We simply want to move in agreement with that. We want to get rid of ourself, get out of the way, and just move with you. The scripture says, in him we breathe and move and have our being. That's how we want to live our lives.
to breathe and to move in you and for that to be the substance of our existence. Whether we're about to get married, whether we've been married 45 years, whether we're about to have children or already have six children, whatever the magnitude is, God, we just pray kingdom come will be done in every situation. And I pray for those, God, who have that one person, that one area in their life that they've been praying for for so long, and it seems almost helpless, it seems almost hopeless. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you'd infuse them with a new level of peace, with a new level of joy, to know that as we walk in agreement with your kingdom, it is the heart of the Father that none perish and that all come to repentance. It is the heart of the Father, Jesus says, I've come for the Father's will that all would be saved. God, let us never lose heart. Let us never lose focus. There is nothing, nothing, nothing impossible for you. And we want to move in agreement with that. So we ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.